So this morning I'm joined by Andrew Ferris and James Wong. So let's start with the cooling inflation numbers, which has been fueling a global rally in equity markets. We're even seeing some of that positivity in the markets here in Hong Kong, despite the weakness in China. Surely it can't be just the inflation numbers which are fueling the rally. So what are the other factors in place? Andrew. I'm afraid I can't think of anything because the markets all this time have been driven by expectations about interest rates. The cooling inflation rates are better. The Chinese economy has shown absolutely no sign of the kind of the robust delivery or by robust recovery that would deliver better results. So I'm afraid I will beg to differ. Uh, the only thing which is driving the markets right now, from my point of view, is expectations of lower interest rates sooner rather than later. Ta-da! <laughs> and James, any, any take, any ideas on your side? Yeah, it's getting a bit ridiculous over over the uh, U.S. equity market because uh, we've seen S&P 500 now three percent higher than uh, March of 2022, but uh, at the same time we have uh, cost of capital 500 bips higher uh, than back then. No, so the, uh, we've seen uh, liquidity. Coming back from the uh, Fed's uh, reverse repo facility a little bit, I think that helps. And uh, people are now not doubting there will be a rate cut within the year. They are expecting a rate cut probably next January. But uh, uh, I think market is betting against Feds again. And uh, the Fed is saying they have two rate hikes uh, on the table for the year, but the market only sees one. Uh, I think that's why uh, market got a, a little bit expected, uh, excited and uh, start penny buying uh, stocks and bonds. But for the, the, the equity market here in Hong Kong, I think there's the main reason why the market is up because uh, the the Hansen index is uh, having a st- uh, pretty strong correlation with how the RMB, uh, how the uh, CMY or CNA, uh, CNH is moving. And the, for the past 10 years, the correlation coefficient between the two is probably only 0.44. But right now, for the past 12 months, the correlation coefficient has been increased to about 0.55. So it's pretty strong. And uh, with U.S. probably only have one more rate uh, rate hike on the table, uh, RMB seems to have had a boost, and uh, Hansen Index have been moving in tandem with CNH for probably the past two weeks, and we've seen the CNH dropping from uh, 7.8 to eight, 7.2855 to right now below 7.2. I think that's a pretty big move. What do you put that increase in correlation down to? Um, is that just the fact that people are tying Hong Kong a lot more with China these days than they have in the past, or is there other factors at play? Oh, definitely. There are more uh, Chinese-based, uh, China-based companies uh, here listed in Hong Kong in the index than Hong Kong-based companies. <laughs> Andrew, have you, you, have you noticed this correlation, and what does that say about the Hang Seng Index going forward? Uh there are two things to to keep in mind. <clears throat> the links between Hong Kong and China uh, are a little bit more complex than they appear to be. Because, for example, when Chinese uh, exports drop, okay, uh, that leaves me rather nonplussed. Because, in general, net export movements in China have made very little difference. To, to GDP. So in other words, one has always have to look both at what's happening to inputs and exports to be able to make some judgment, okay, of uh, what is likely to happen to GDP. And also the fact that Hong Kong exports nothing. 95% of all Hong Kong exports are re-exports. 
Okay, so Hong Kong is exporting goods and services that are being produced in a different country. And I'm afraid it gets quite complicated to work out what is the value added of exports in terms of GDP growth. Uh, it gets very, very boring, and I wouldn't want to do it. Normally, <laughs> I make people go to bed very, very early. And if I try that, they go instantly dense. Okay, so I, I, I'm afraid the relationship between Hong Kong and China uh, stays as it is, but it is a hell of a lot more complex than simply noting that the export numbers. So if there is any correlation in the indexes moving, well, you know, all I can say is, is uh, yes, China is important, but it is in a more complicated way important. I'm sorry, I'm a little bit uh, 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 garrulous here because, uh, yeah, I get, I get a little bit upset when, uh, when the relationship between Hong Kong and China are not being put in on a quantitative basis, and that's not ever easy. But if you're talking is saying that look at the import and exports, both numbers have been quite weak, yet the Hang Seng Index has rallied over the last, you know, I know it's only over the last week, but even when we take it off the lows since October, I mean, it's up nearly 50%. So that... Yeah, well, here is Andrew Fred who's winning the Nobel Prize uh, for, for nothing. Of course, the Hang Seng Index will go up because any expectation that American interest rates are not going to go up means Hong Kong interest rates are going to go up. We are linked to the, to the U.S. dollar. Actually, <laughs> the peg means that uh, whatever happens to the state, to American interest rates, happens in Hong Kong. So if the news are good, of course, that, uh, that will be good. Yeah, it's very simple. Okay. Um, which actually ties in quite nicely because we have been talking about the currency and we are seeing weakness in the, currency, in the U.S. dollar against all major currencies. Again, on the back of the interest rates <laughs> falling, right? So Absolutely. Yeah, oh, sorry, I shouldn't say interest rates Aussie. falling, but it, obviously interest rates being going up less than what people expected. Now, is that what do we do? Do we look at the Fed and say there's going to be two more rate hikes? Do we go by what the market's expecting, one more rate hike? Or do we even say, look, inflation numbers well, completely giving, call in the US and it's not going to be any rate hikes? Yeah, given, given what has happened in the past, uh, I have uh, taken a great likeness to Mr. Powell because it seems, seems to be getting, uh, I'm not saying he seems to be getting his policies right, but definitely he seems to be getting what he says to us right, and that is I haven't finished. And there is absolutely no reason to disbelieve him. Yeah, but uh, carrying on increasing in uh, year 24 and in year 25, as at one stage was, was the view, of course, this has now dropped, and that's, that's, that's good news. Good news for anybody like Hong Kong, which is linked to the US dollar. But look also at the Aussie. The Aussie has been doing extremely well precisely, not because uh, the RBA is, is about to stop increasing interest rates, which is negative, it's because the US dollar is about to not to increase as much as it would have been, oh, and it gets convoluted, and therefore the differentials are not going to carry on widening versus the, the Aussie. Relatively simple. James? Uh, yeah, I, th I think uh, the uh, US dollar is going a little bit far right now. Uh, going below USDX, going below 100 is probably what the uh, traders have been pushed for, but right now I think there's going to be a reversal pretty soon. Okay. Um Moving on into the Chinese economy itself, I mean, we've been talking about the fact there has been some weakness in there. The numbers don't look good across the board. Um, 
do you think stimulus packages will come through from the government or do you think they're done for now and they're just going to see how the last couple of stimulus packages play out? No, I don't think anybody is happy with the last few stimulus packages or if we can call that a package uh, because all we've seen throughout June of this year is a fine tune in open market rates here and there and, and a 10 bips uh, uh, decrease for five-year LPR is probably below everybody's expectations. So I don't think it's done yet, but I, th- I do think there is some uh, secret injection of capital or liquidity into the system by the Chinese, Chinese government because we've seen there are uh, numbers for uh, social borrowing, their uh, new loans number, and one one uh, figure that was buried in those uh, numbers was the uh, fiscal savings decrease. Uh, for uh, the past month, uh, there was a 1.04 billion a trillion yuan decrease in the fiscal saving of the Chinese government. So it's got to be spent somewhere. But then we were looking at uh, the average monthly decrease of fiscal savings for the Chinese government from 2018 to 2022, and that number was about 400 billion yuan. So uh, the Chinese government was spending more in somewhere, and if we add the uh, new issuance of the of the national debt from the PBOC, we can see there is about 1.4 trillion yuan spent in the past month. Uh, so I think the Chinese government is actually doing something, but just not like before. They are now announcing it uh, that obviously. Andrew, what's your take on the current uh, movements from the Chinese government in terms of stimulating its economy? Sorry, is that a question for me? Sorry, yes, I sorry, Andrew, yes. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. yeah. <clears throat> well, uh, as far as monetary, I'll, 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 t- I'll split it in two parts. I think they've got, uh, given the, the size of uh, the central uh, government's deficit as percentage of GDP, which is incidental, it's a completely, uh, it's a completely meaningless number, but anyway, everybody se- seems to believe it, except possibly me, because it divides deficit, which is a, it's a lump sum, it doesn't have a, a time dimension, divided by, by GDP, which has a time dimension, so this is a classic case of ina- dividing apples with bananas, but the IMF seems to be believing, so you know, I'll, I'll go along with that. <laughs> they have quite, quite a stretch, in other words, they are able to, to, to increase that quite significantly, even hitting the, the 9% that the uh, United States or some states has done. One. The second point is, is that uh, when you have uh, inflation nearly zero, CPI inflation, as China has had, and of course if you look at the producers' price indexes that it is now deflation minus, then very little what you can do in terms of cuts of interest rates. Remember, interest rates increases seems to go up in absolute numbers when inflation is accelerating and go down in absolute numbers, or at least in frequency where deflation is decelerating, when inflation is not moving at all, okay, it's very difficult to say, well, I'm going to cut interest rates, let's say, by 25 basis points. In China, you cannot do this. You cannot do this for a number of reasons including the fact that uh, you will be entering very, very quickly in negative real interest rates at a time that clearly monetary policy is not working in the way it is expected to. So, I, you know, f- from this, I tease out the notion that they should be doing something more on the fiscal side, but they are always incredibly reluctant to do it after what they have done in 08 or 09, and then they got a little bit worried, and also what they've seen, what the rest of the economies did, they decided we're not going to go that way. What about the fact that they're now starting to seemingly support private companies again, which is a bit of a U-turn over the last four years? Um, Could that start stimulating the economy as well? Well, uh, look, one thing 
uh, is to turn to the private sector and say, please spend more. And the other thing is for the private sector to say, yes, absolutely right, we'll do it because you are asking us to do it. Because the private sector doesn't work on the basis of exhortations. It works on the basis of expected profitability. So, you know, I would, like, I would have liked to have seen what they also added to say, look, we're going to cut taxes, which they have, okay, but in a rather complex way. Or, well, you know, we are making uh, loans easier, so therefore that will be easier for you to borrow but actually simply exhorting them to help the economy. Uh, you know, you can't have it both ways. The private sector works in the way in which capitalism works, which is pretty heartless, uh, very self-centered, and profit-driven. And if that is not the case, then uh, I have no idea how the Chinese private sector will react, even to the fact that government said, we are now turned around, we're not going to be nasty to you anymore. And incidentally, they were only nasty to a part of the uh, of the part of the tech sector. They were not nasty to, to literally everything that moved. It's a little bit of an exaggeration. But anyway, be that as it may, okay, then uh, I'll spend more money if uh, I'm going to make more money. It's as simple as that. And James? Yeah, the private sector, I think, it behaves the same as consumers. And consumers and residents here in China, I think they are uh, carrying out something called a defensive saving because they've seen prices dropping, not only the house prices, but the price, uh, prices of goods. And uh, they have this realization that the money that they have right now, if they put that in the, in the banks and uh, enjoying a rate probably not that high, it's still going to have uh, rendering them with higher purchasing power uh, later in the year. So they are not really keen to spending on goods. And uh, the private sector is the same. We've seen M2 growing at a higher, a lot higher uh, speed than the GDP is growing in China. But uh, it just seems that the, that liquidity is not going to the real economy. And uh, I think the, the real estate uh, sector is a good example uh, because the uh, Chinese government just now extended the policy that it's uh, uh, helping or facilitating uh, real estate companies getting loans or getting an extension of loans from banks and from uh, trusts. But uh, they still have some problems getting an extension because the policy states it's going to be uh, private sector behavior and market-driven behavior. It's not a rule. So it's up to negotiation between the banks and trusts with the real estate developers, and it's not really that effective. There is also the interesting contradiction that you are encouraging the real estate sector to spend more money at the time that uh, for nearly, I think, 14 months in 70 major Chinese cities, the prices of new homes have been actually going down. They have not been going down. They have been negative to zero. Okay, so, well, hang on a minute. You know, do I want to produce and put in more flats into a falling market or start in building more flats at the time that the buyers and sellers are telling us that uh, prices are going down. It's, it's, it's an interesting conflict, and uh, I, you know, uh, thank God I'm, I'm, not, uh, I'm not empowered to offer any, any advice to the Chinese government, but they have a, they have a tough, tough decision to make. Mm-hmm. Okay. Unfortunately, we're running out of time, and this conversation needs to go on longer, but thank you very much, Andrew and James, for coming on.